We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. Today's episode of the Hoosier Huddle Podcast is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social media. Go to sportsdrink.org. Or open Instagram and type in at sports drink, spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. All we ask you to do is close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. Well, TJ, uh, we're getting closer to the college football season. We are now on our Big Ten East preview. It is our last conference preview before the season starts. We're also, as of recording, 24 days away uh, from Indiana kicking off the season against Illinois at Memorial Stadium on September 2nd at 8 o'clock uh, against Illinois. Um, but let's get to the Big Ten East. This, you know, we were talking before the show, it seems like a one-horse race uh, with Ohio State. Yes, I know it's going to probably take off some Michigan fans. Michigan had a really special year last year with some really special talent. Um, I do think that they'll be really good again, but Ohio State, usually when they have a, quote, bad season, uh, that ends up in a Rose Bowl title and and things like that, and I think they went 11-2. and two. Um, They get that game at home, and they usually come back with a vengeance. They have the conference's best quarterback. They have the conference's best receiver, um, and they change things up on defense, and you just think they're going to come back with a vengeance. Michigan should also be really good, but I don't know if they could duplicate what they did last year. Um, What's your initial take on the Big Ten East? I I think uh, it's a division that really a conference on the Big Ten as a whole um, that I view there being a wider gap this season between Ohio State and the rest of the league uh, than there is in any other conference. Uh, the top team in any other conference with the rest of that conference, I think the gap is wider um, with Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten than it is any other team conference combination in the country. Uh, I don't know if Ohio State's going to be the best team in the country. I do think they will have the best offense in the country. Um, And if their defense can elevate themselves a little bit over what they were a season ago, which they weren't great uh, in 2021, um, 
new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, coming over from Oklahoma State. I, I do think that there's enough talent there to suggest that with some tweaks, they're going to be a little bit better. Uh, I, I do think that with their offense, if they can stay healthy at the quarterback position and with Jackson Smith and Jigbet receiver, I think that there is enough there for Ohio State to really feel good about their chances to challenge for a national title. Yeah, I agree. The schedule sets up pretty well as well. You have Notre Dame to start the year, who's is coming off a devastating Fiesta Bowl loss in Marcus Freeman's first game. But it's also a Notre Dame team uh, who loses some talent on offense. It's an opener. It's at home. I believe it's under the lights on on Fox as well. And uh, Ohio State is, is going to be ramped up for that one. Notre Dame's not going to stink this year, but – I don't think that they're going to be a team that's in national title uh, or college football playoff uh, contention uh, unless they shock the world and beat and beat Ohio State. Uh, outside of Notre Dame, you have Arkansas State and Toledo, which really shouldn't scare uh, scare the Buckeyes. Your crossovers in the West are Wisconsin at home, at Northwestern, and Iowa at home. Uh, they avoid that trip to Iowa, which caught them up a couple years ago or tripped them up a couple years ago. You do have to go to Penn state on October 29th. Um, you have to go to Michigan state on October 8th. And then I think a tricky game, if that defense isn't fixed is at Maryland uh, on November 19th. It's, it's a week before the Michigan game, you can lose your focus. Um, and if you lose your focus on defense against Maryland's offense, it's it's uh, it's going to be a long day. And we've seen Ohio State go in there before and give up 50-some-odd points, but win. Um, and you know that, that that Maryland wants that game back. I believe that was in uh, – that might have been in 2016. That, that was a, a heck of a game uh, there. But their, their schedule – Ohio State's schedule shakes out really well. I, they do have the most talented roster, uh, and, uh, you know, you get Michigan at home. It's a revenge game, and Michigan's not – they're going to be real good, but they're not going to be as good as they were last year. Um, let's move down the line. Let's go to Michigan. They're coming off a college football uh, playoff appearance. They're coming off their first Big Ten title since 2004 as well. They return uh, starting quarterback Cade McNamara, uh, but they still have a quarterback competition between him and J.J. McCarthy. They lose Hassan Haskins, but return Blake Corum, who's a, a speedier back, uh, ran for over 900 yards last year. They do get Ronnie Bell back. He was a terrific receiver in 2020 for them. Um, lost for most of last year with an ACL injury. Cornelius Johnson turned into that big play receiver last year in his absence. Um, you get a lot of talent on offense back. Where Michigan, I think, is probably a step lower. It's still very, very good, but that was an elite defense last year where I think that they're um, a step slower there is on the defense side of the ball. You lose, uh, you know, an all-time talent like um, – Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajigbo, 
uh, at the defense ends and it, it's um it's going to be a big deal and that's going to be the difference between you know beating ohio state and losing to ohio state what's your take on michigan well three people uh three starters lost from the defensive secondary brad hawkins dax hill vincent gray plus the two difference making pass rushers uh which really allowed their defense to play straight up um I mean, they did not have to really do any exotic schemes uh, or blitzes to get to the quarterback. They were able to just line up Hutchinson and Ojabo and say, hey, we're going to beat your offensive lineman with these two guys and allow the rest of our defense to go make plays elsewhere. Um, so also lost defensive coordinator Mike McDonald to the NFL. Uh, so new and coordinators the there, yeah. new coordinators the on offense. Yep. Uh, I, I do like their offensive talent. I think Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, both really good running backs. I think that's a good tandem. Um, you mentioned Ronnie Bell. I think their receivers are good, not great. Uh, I don't view them at the same level um, anywhere close to really what Ohio State has as far as playmakers on offense. They do get a big transfer. Offensive line was going to be kind of a concern, but a big transfer from Virginia. I can't pronounce the guy's name, but uh, Oluwatami or something to that extent. But he's a potential uh, all Big Ten center um, for, for Michigan. So that was a good addition through the portal. But, I, you know, I, I think that they lost enough combined with. I wasn't overly, uh, overly even if they brought everybody back, I, I don't think that they could have replicated everything that they did last year. I think Ohio State has the potential to be much better or a little bit better than they were a season ago. Michigan takes a step back. Uh, therefore, I think they're a clear number two in the Big Ten East. Potential top ten team. I think that that's fair, that they could be a top 10 team. You look at their non-conference schedule, very manageable. Uh, they should go super, through and without a problem super at all. Super soft. Yeah, Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, all at home. Uh, they're also open to Big Ten at home against Maryland. They don't go on the road until October 1st when they go to Iowa. Uh, that'll be a tricky game. They're at Iowa, at Indiana. They are home to Penn State and home to Michigan State. So that's a big deal there. Another reason why I think they are the clear second in this comp in this division ahead of Penn State, ahead of Michigan State. I think they're a little bit better roster-wise, but the, the key for me in picking that, they get both the Nittany Lions and the Spartans at home. Uh, their, their other two cross-division games outside of Iowa Nebraska and Illinois also both at home. So I think it is very feasible to say, hey, Michigan could be unbeaten with only one really impressive victory. Uh, if they blow out Penn State, blow out Michigan State, that's one thing. But let's say that those are just routine wins for them. The only impressive resume win might be at Iowa to be determined how good Iowa will be. 
but they could go into that season finale at Ohio State unbeaten. And if that's the case, and they go to Ohio State and contend, but lose, so finish the season 11 and 1 without really any standout victories, but the only loss being to Ohio State on the road is Michigan, a contender for the playoff with an 11 and 1 record and that resume i i would it would depend a lot on what the teams around them do but that would be tough to include them in there because who would they have beaten what would they have done that would tell you yeah they deserve to be in there um i think that could play out to be a very interesting uh, kind of test case scenario with with this four team playoff yeah, especially with the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, whatever we're right. calling them now, um, they don't have a clear contender. Uh, we right. talked about that on, on our, our uh, conference previews for them. You know, each we projected the, the, the Big 12 having a, their champion having two or three losses at least, and maybe the, the Pac-12 in that same situation um, there. So it'll be interesting, and you don't, Cincinnati will be good this year, but they lose a heck of a lot of talent. And, um, you know, if they, they're they not getting in with one loss. And they, they have to go to Arkansas to open the season. And I don't know, even if Cincinnati goes undefeated, I don't know if they make it two years in a row unless there's no other choice. You know, if it is a three-loss Big 12 team uh, and a three-loss Pac-12 team, maybe you do see – uh, you know, a, a one-loss non-champion in Michigan uh, go, or, uh, you know, a two-loss conference champion uh, from from an, another conference. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Um, Michigan's non-conference schedule is, I point to it as, why can't IU do this? Uh, with, with Colorado State, Hawaii, and Connecticut all at home, um, it, it's – it's like, why why can't IU do that? Um, but we'll see. Uh, let's move on to Penn State. Uh, this is a team I'm not sold on. Uh, right. It's, you know, they got off to that hot start last year. Um, you know, they were 5-0, and ranked number three. Um, sorry, ranked number four in the country going to Iowa. They lose a close game, uh, and then the, the wheels kind of fell off. Uh, they lose to uh, Illinois the next week at home. They get uh, beat by nine at Ohio State. Uh, they they hang on to beat Maryland 31-14. And then, you know, they, they lose to Michigan at home by four in a good game. They beat um, Rutgers. And, and then they lose to, to Michigan State to end the year uh, and lose in the Outback Bowl to Arkansas. So a, a promising 5-0 and start turns into a 7-6 and finish. And it seems like this is a theme for um, for James Franklin a little bit. He, he started 0-5 in 2020, finished 4-5, and which is kind of the opposite of what he did in 2021. But they're still 11-11 and in their last um, 22 games over the last two seasons. It's... Very disappointing if you're a Penn State fan coming off of, uh, you know, an 11 win season in 2019, a nine win season um, 
in 2018 in which you, you know, you, you lost to Kentucky in a bowl game again. Uh, and then an 11 win uh, 2017 campaign uh, where you did beat Washington in the Fiesta Bowl. You thought that James Franklin, Penn State turned the corner, that they could, uh, you know, once again, become Big Ten champions, maybe make a run to, to the college football play- playoff. That hasn't happened. They haven't beaten Penn, uh, Ohio State. A lot of those Ohio State losses are close, but they're games that Penn State probably should have won um, and ended up losing. So I'm I'm interested to see where Penn State goes. I I don't I don't know what what they're they're going to be. Uh, Sean Clifford is back at, at quarterback, but they have really no depth behind them. And I think another thing, TJ, is that former Penn State quarterback Will Levis is lighting it up at, at um at, at, he's at Kentucky I believe at Kentucky and that's got to be frustrating for fans because you have an inconsistent offensive player like Sean Clifford and then you have Will Levis who left the program who if he has a great year is talked about being a first round draft pick and maybe a sleeper at the Heisman um trophy position the first game of the year for them is at Purdue I think this game sets the tone for uh, for the rest of the season for both programs. We talked about it last week um, in our Big Ten West preview. If whoever wins that game, I think has the better season. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's a real tough game. You saw what happened when they lost to IU on the road in 2020. Things just the wheels fell off. Uh, Penn State also has a trip down to Auburn uh, two weeks after that in non-conference outside of that they play ohio and central michigan your western crossovers are northwestern at home minnesota at home and at purdue so it's not a terrible crossover but you got to they got to get that purdue game uh i i think you know i think fans were really hoping that he would take that usc job uh, and didn't and then they gave him a huge contract extension i'm just not a james franklin fan I think he's a he's a, a terrific recruiter, but in-game coaching, I, I don't think he's very good, and I think he's holding them back uh, in that regard. But what, what's your take on the 2022 Nittany Lions? I think that Sean Clifford um, is proving to be a very frustrating uh kind of a tease, if you will. He definitely shows something to you that makes you believe that Penn State's about to be able to make a jump up, uh, but it's not consistent. It, it Every year, um, I feel like for the past three seasons, we've gone into the season previewing Penn State saying, well, uh, you know, once Sean Clifford takes that next step, and it hasn't really happened. Uh, I don't think that their offensive weapons around him um, are great. I think Parker Washington is a very good receiver. I don't love the rest of that group. Um, now that they could step up, uh, they've recruited decently at that position, so they they could step up. Uh, one spot that I, I think. I'm surprised that Penn State does not have a great player there at tight end. Uh, they've not been able to replace Pat Fryermuth. 
and there's not really anybody on the roster that jumps out at you as a player that is going to replace him. Uh, they think that, you know, reading some early reports from camp, uh, they think that Nick Singleton, who is a, a true freshman at running back, they think that uh, he's going to play early and really stand out. So if that's the case, maybe that's an additional difference maker um, on offense. I mean, they only averaged 25 points a game last season, which for a, an elite a team hoping to be elite, that's not good enough. Uh, they do have to replace a couple of starting linebackers, Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks, uh, three starting defensive linemen. So I, I, I think that there's enough concern here to really wonder if Penn State can punch with Michigan, punch with Ohio State, um, and stand out as even the third best team in this division. You're right. That game at Purdue, first, uh, really first night, big night of the season, Thursday, September 1st, it's on network television on Fox. It's a night game at Purdue. That's going to be really tough for Penn State to win that, but they could. Uh, if they do, I think that that's a major boost for them. They get that one, then host Ohio, so they'd be 2-0 and going to Auburn, uh, which is a 3:30 CBS game. So two out of the first three weeks, those are kind of you know highlight games, uh, national TV um, for Purdue, where very few other things are happening that night. So could be a big uh, big number there, and then at Auburn on CBS uh, on the third week of the season, Auburn is a team that I, I think is there for the taking it's a good year to be playing them because that could be a, a scalp in name but not necessarily a great team on the field and then you got central michigan and northwestern so the opportunities there to win a couple of tough games but winnable games and get to five and oh before your bye week the opportunity is also there to lose a couple of those uh, and really be reeling so it's a really interesting start of the season for penn state i'm not sold on them either uh, I do think that they are fourth for me in the East. I, I just have more faith in what I've seen from Mel Tucker's Michigan State teams than I do recently from uh, James Franklin and Penn State. Yeah, it's I just Penn State that that it doesn't ex that team just looks like an eight and four, you know, seven and five team to me and it's all going to hinge on I, I think Penn State um, I, I think they're they might be a psychologically weak team um, but that Purdue game was if another fun fact about this game this game was traded to Fox um, from ESPN for Joe Buck yeah so um, I wonder if they'll mention that on the broadcast but we'll see let's move on to Michigan State uh, this is a team that I overachieved last year um, thanks to the transfer portal. Uh, that's not saying that they weren't good. They were very good, um, but nobody could have expected an 11 and two season with a cotton bowl or a peach bowl win uh, over Pitt. Uh, Peyton Thorne, their quarterback uh, matured and had a great season, but it, it how much of this turnaround 
was due to Kenneth Walker coming in from Wake Forest and running for 1,600 yards uh, and, and being in the Heisman con- conversation, winning the Doak Walker as the best running back in, in college football. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- their offense still – or their defense wasn't great last year. This wasn't your typical Michigan State beat them back and, and win the game, you know, 9-6. This was – you know, we're going to hand the ball off to Kenneth Walker. He's going to run for 200 yards and five touchdowns. And Peyton Thorne's not going to turn the ball over. If you look at their defense, I think they were last in the Big Ten in pass defense um, and, and things like that. So they open with Western Michigan. They get Akron at home. They have to go to Washington, which is a tricky game. Their crossovers are Minnesota at home, Wisconsin at home, and at Illinois. Not the easiest um, crossovers, but not the worst. Your only road game is at at Illinois. They do have to go to Michigan, uh, but they get Ohio State at home, which that game seems to always put Michigan State back in their place. Last year, Michigan State went into Ohio State. as a one loss team ranked seventh in the country and they got smoked 56, seven, uh, no Kenneth Walker this year. He's moved on. Uh, they look at, at Jared Broussard to be the tailback there. Jaden Reed is back, but they lose Jalen Naylor, uh, at wide receiver. The defense, we'll see if the defense can, can be better in the pass game, but, I don't know, just like Michigan, I don't know if Michigan State gets to that 10-win mark again just because they so far outshot expectations. Maybe they come back down to earth a little bit, uh, but we'll see. Where do you see uh, Michigan State? Uh, Fun game for them uh, week three at Washington as well. Uh, Kalen DeBoer and maybe Michael Penix starting at quarterback. Uh, we'll see, but uh, that that's going to be a fun one to watch. It is a, I think, a 7:30, so a primetime game on uh, on ABC. I I think um, that is September 17th. So uh, Michigan State, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how much of their success did hinge on Kenneth Walker, uh, because you're right, the defense pretty darn bad against the pass and they brought in a transfer from Georgia, Amir Speed, uh, that it should start right away for them. How much does that help you? One transfer in, in the secondary, don't know. Michigan State's continued to recruit really well. Uh, that's going to start paying off dividends soon on the field maybe this year, but they definitely need some help on that defense in the secondary. Plus they could definitely use with some uh, difference making pass rushers, which everybody's looking to find, but Michigan state needs that to help out that secondary. Uh, They need to get additional pressure on the quarterback to help out a weaky secondary. So I think that they're a, a, interesting team the the downside for them on their schedule i i kind of take the ohio state home game off the table 
I don't view anybody in this conference beating Ohio State this year. So you're looking at, okay, who's their next kind of matchup opponents? It's at Michigan, and then they close the season at Penn State. So, you know, if you're looking at who's that, that battle for second in the Big Ten East, both of those other contenders, they have to play on the road. Um, so that, that's a, a plus they're at Maryland as well. Um, so not the easiest draw for them. Um, I have been pretty impressed so far with uh, with kind of how Mel Tucker's been able to sort of rebuild this program after a couple of lean years under D'Antonio at the end of his reign. Uh, we'll see if they can kind of take that next step, which is to consistently reach that nine, 10 win plateau. I don't view them quite at that level this year. And I think it will be a lot dependent on can their defense improve enough and can Peyton Thorne do more than just not lose the game? Uh, we'll see. I think that they will need that from him this year. They'll need him to be uh, much more of somebody that they rely on for offense as opposed to, hey, don't screw this up. Um, he looked good at times last season, but you know it's going to be a different role for him unless that running game is significantly better than what we anticipate it to be, and they don't miss a beat after losing Walker. They just plug a few guys in and, and keep on rolling. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think they will need Kenneth Walker, or I'm sorry, Peyton Thorne, uh, to, to really take a next step and show that he can be more than just a, a game manager, if you will. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to Maryland. Uh, this team is really interesting to me. I, I do think yeah. they, they probably have, outside of Ohio State, the best wide receiver group in in the conference. Um, if they stay healthy, Rakeem Jarrett, uh, Jayshon Jones, and Dante Demas. If Demas is healthy, he's one of the best wide receivers in the conference. Uh, they did go 7-6 and six last year. They won a bowl game. Uh, their defense is what held them back. Uh, you know, as bad as IU's offense was late in the year last year, they led up 35 points to a Donovan McCulley-led offense. Um, they did win 38-35, um, but it, it was kind of piecemealing to get together a win. They started off 4-0. Um, they lost. They got... They beat their matchup opponents. Uh, it's kind of IU's recipe to go into a bowl game this year. However, when they played anybody good, they got throttled. They lost 51-14 to Iowa at home, 66-17 at Ohio State, 34-16 at Minnesota, 31-14 Penn State, 40-21 against Michigan State, 59-18 against Michigan. Uh, they did win the pinstripe bowl against Virginia Tech. 54-10. They have Talia Tungabaloa coming back. Um, they also hit the transfer portal hard, uh, especially on defense. But you lose some secondary players who have been there for, for a while um, who are going to the next level. Nick Cross, uh, guys like that. Um, Maryland, they're going to put up points this year. It's can they stop anybody long enough to 
outscore them. They play Buffalo at Charlotte and SMU in the non-conference. They get Purdue at home, Northwestern at home, and at Wisconsin. So a very good draw out of the West for them. Uh, you get your matchup games at home. Uh, the Purdue-Maryland game, if the over is out, I'm taking the over uh, today. They do have to go to Michigan and to Penn State uh, and to Wisconsin. That's going to be tough. Uh, I think health-wise, if they're healthy, I think they get back to to, to a bowl game again. Um, you know, they, they play Indiana October 15th. It's on the road. This, this series has become kind of a mini rivalry uh, between yep. IU and Maryland. The games have been close. Um, they've usually determined which program goes to the postseason uh, and, and things like that. So it's a, it's a very important game for IU. Uh, it, it's strength against strength as long as everybody's healthy. Um, you know, the IU secondary was not healthy last year. We saw Tywin Mullen try and come back. He couldn't move uh, and, and got burned a couple of times. But, you know, with the healthy secondary, it's IU strength. So we'll see. It's a big game. That's a matchup opponent for IU. Uh, does Maryland take that next step? Do they start competing with some of the big boys uh, and get to a better bowl game? Or is this, you know, kind of the Kevin Wilson formula of we're, we're just going to outscore you. And if you score on us, you know, just give us the ball back and we'll go and, and score again and hopefully win. I, you know, that last point you made was exactly what I was going to say is Maryland, their current iteration has to remind everyone uh, of kind of the mid Kevin Wilson teams before Tom Allen. Um, it, it reminds you of kind of the Brian Knorr defensive coordinator era Indiana teams where it was man, we've got a great offense, but we're going to struggle to get to six or seven wins. Um, And the reason is that their defense gave up almost 40 points a game and more than six yards of play. Um, They were bad against the run, bad against the pass. They get back seven starters, but lost a couple of their best players. One of them, Nick Cross, I heard Mike Loxley on Indianapolis radio uh, call Nick Cross their best player. Um, And if you're losing your best player from a really bad defense and not bringing in anybody that jumps off the page as a difference maker, I'm not sure how much different the results will be. Um, New defensive coordinator, and Brian Williams, no clue what he brings to the table. But offensively, you're right, great receivers. Tagovailoa, very good quarterback, um, somewhat turnover prone. But as much as they ask him to do, I think he does a pretty nice job. They do get back all five of their offensive line starters, and they've got a freshman running back, Ramon Brown, that they think um, – could be their starter. Uh, So I think that they're going to be a really entertaining team. I'm not sure how overall successful it's going to be. I do think that the ceiling for them is kind of right around that 
six, seven wins. Um, their, their West matchups, Purdue at home, Northwestern at home, at Wisconsin, not, not bad. I mean, you do get that Purdue game at home. That's a, um, a very interesting game, but it comes off of the heels of at Michigan and Michigan State. They might be a little bit beat up um, before they take on the Boilers. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I really don't see them having the defensive chops to be able to punch up there uh, and maybe take Penn State's place in the pecking order for this season. Uh, I don't. I don't see it. Um, I think that they will give teams some fits uh, because of their offense, but ultimately fall in kind of high-scoring shootouts in a number of these games and fall somewhere between five and seven wins again. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially when you're at one of these programs like Indiana, at like Maryland, where you have one unit that is really, really great and then your other unit just is below average. And, um, you know, it, it kind of feels, yeah, it's an anchor. And it kind of feels like a missed opportunity, uh, especially under the Kevin Wilson years. Uh, 2013, you look at, was it that offense was probably the best in the Big Ten. And they go five and seven. Um, and a large part of that was, A, due to idiotic scheduling. Um, by Fred Glass and the, the the administration, you're scheduling Missouri at home and Navy, which you should never schedule. Um, and then you know you had everybody touts Kevin Wilson as this great play caller. You're running the ball down Minnesota's throats, and you throw a backwards pass, and the game's over. You know, hand the ball off a couple of times, kick a field goal to win the game, and. Maybe you're in a bowl game in 2013. Uh, you know, I, it stinks because those, you know, these players for Maryland, those players for IU, um, they're actually really good. And, and, you know, the way that college football is, is trending and um, there's not much appreciation for those teams, uh, you know, on the national perspective. And, and that's kind of taking the allure away from college football. And now it's a national championship or college football playoff or bus mentality. It's kind of an NFL mentality. And I, I just, I don't like that, but let's move on. Next up is the Indiana Hoosiers. We'll talk quickly about them. We'll go into depth uh, on IU the next two weeks. We'll talk about the offense and then the defense and special teams as we ramp up for the season. But a quick overview on IU coming off a disastrous two and 10 season. Um, injuries played a huge role. This opener against Illinois is, I, I think, the most important game of the Tom Allen era to date. Uh, it, it's, it might not be as uh, much fanfare as the Ohio State opener to, to open his regular season debut. As head coach, uh, it, it doesn't have the pizzazz of a bowl game, but for the state of the program and for Tom Allen's future in Bloomington, uh, it is it is the most important game. You get a win here, now you're 
you're kind of back on track. You got uh, Idaho and Western Kentucky the, the next uh, two weeks before going to Cincinnati. So you could be 3-0 heading to Cincinnati. Um, it is a front-loaded schedule, uh, which I think should benefit IU uh, in terms of if you could win some games early, you could win back some of these fans that kind of jumped off the ship uh, last year. Uh, your your other non-conference games, so it's Idaho, Western Kentucky, at Cincinnati, another stupid schedule. Um, why you're going to Cincinnati is beyond me. Uh, your West crossovers are at Nebraska, Illinois at home, and Purdue at home. This is a year IU has to win their matchup games. You have to beat Maryland. You have to beat Rutgers. You have to beat Illinois. If you could get those three and then the swing games of Cincinnati, Nebraska, Purdue. If you could get one of those, you're going to a bowl game. Um, I don't think you have a shot at Ohio State. I don't think you have a shot against Michigan, um, really. Uh, we'll see what Penn State is. I think if, if the cards fall the right way for IU and the cards fall the wrong way for Penn State, that's a game that I could see IU pulling an upset. But um, you have a new quarterback, uh, either Jack Tuttle or, or Connor Bazelak. You have new running back uh, in Sean Shivers and Josh Sanderson behind him. New wide receivers at uh, with Emory Simmons, Cam Camper. Uh, you have DJ Matthews back. He only played four four games last year, but he was a difference maker uh, before his injury. I think the key is the offensive line. If the offensive line can improve and you expand that rotation and see if these younger players can play well, um, you've got a shot. The defense, I think, should be pretty good. Uh, we've been down at practice, uh, you know, twice in the last couple weeks. Um, the defense, the if they stay healthy, I think should be pretty good and should be back more towards that 2020 level with Allen calling it. It looks like they'll go back to that vision zone where which they played in, in 2020 and got all those takeaways. Um, so we'll see. If they could get those takeaways, help out the offense a little bit, they should be in decent shape. Um, could they also be a total disaster? Yeah, if they lose against Illinois – not writing the season off totally, but it doesn't help. Um, you're probably looking at another three, four win, win year, uh, and and people, more people are going to start calling for Allen's job. Uh, so, not to go too much into depth on IU. What's your take uh, on IU, uh, TJ? I think that there's a ton of questions, a lot of potential answers. Um, and I think it makes for a fascinating uh, season coming up. I mean, uh, complete change from what we saw a season ago on paper. So whether or not the you know results and the outcomes follow that, we will have to find out. But um, Indiana knew that changes were needed. So offensive coaching changes. Uh, personnel changes, I think a really big increase of speed and explosiveness on offense, along with, I think, intelligent additions on defense that combine with 
guys getting healthy, hopefully, and uh, returning on defense, plus Tom Allen taking over play calling again on that side of the ball, uh, along with Chad Wilt being brought in uh, to, you know, on that, on that side as well as kind of a grooming role as a defensive coordinator uh, and currently a position coach. Um, I, I think that what Indiana has to hope is that those changes combined with what we've heard about uh, player-led accountability and player-led fixing the culture and kind of reestablishing the foundation of which the culture is, or the uh, program is built on as a culture. Uh, Indiana's got to hope that those take hold very quickly and that you get off to a fast start. Um, the quarterback position, we'll talk about that quite a bit, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. Uh, definitely a current position battle between Jack Tuttle and Connor Bazelak. Uh, and it's a new offensive system, so it's hard for us to even say what it is that they're looking for exactly from that position. Um, I, just, I think that there's so many questions, a lot of potential answers. Um, it's a very difficult team to get a read on. I will say this. I am going to be optimistic about a Tom Allen-led defense until proven otherwise. Uh, and on offense, I'm, I would say, cautiously optimistic that there's been enough additions and changes for them to be at least improved. Whether or not it's going to be good enough, I think is certainly uh, a point of conversation and debate. Uh, but I, I do think that there has been enough addition and changes and playmakers added to the offense, plus a new system uh, that I, I think you can make a very good argument that the offense will be better. That's a very low bar, and even just a little better is not going to be good enough. Uh, but I, I do think that there's reasons to be cautiously optimistic about a slightly more entertaining version of the offense than what we've seen the past uh, saw last year. So we'll definitely dive in position by position, and um, we plan on having uh, our favorite and fan favorite Andy Graham back on uh, to help us preview things. Uh, we are looking forward to that, but I guess we'll jump to the last team in the in the East, which is Rutgers. Um, another matchup opponent for Indiana, for sure. It's a team that struggled on offense just as much as IU did, only 13.7 points per game in Big Ten play. Uh, still major questions at quarterback, Noah Vedral. They do like the redshirt freshman Gavin Wimsett, but those two are competing. You lose Isaiah Pacheco. You lose your best receiver, Bo Melton. You only get back two starters along the offensive line. All that being said, it seems like the national take is, oh, look at Rutgers. They are really on the right path with 
Indiana, you look at it as, oh, what a complete dumpster fire disaster. I, I find the um, the national narratives takes on the two programs to be uh, quite different, and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, you know, Rutgers was terrible against the run last year on defense. They were actually last in uh, defensive pass efficiency. Um, they only get back five defensive starters. I know they're recruiting okay, but I guess I don't really see what kind of the national buzz on Rutgers being this big improvement. I guess I don't see where it's coming from. Well, Phil Steele has them last in the Big Ten East, if that makes you feel a little bit better, TJ. Um, yeah, and, and it's not it's not universal. I've just seen quite a few national people, you know, putting Rutgers like sixth or fifth. So it's not like people are predicting, oh, they're going to win eight games. No, no, no. But I do think that the narrative around them is look how much better they're getting. Look how much they're improving. And I, that just hasn't been the case. Yeah, they beat the crap out of IU last year when Indiana was just a complete shell of itself. And to be honest, we, we probably could like have beat were, Indiana last year. Yeah, it didn't look like they were at all interested in playing that game. That was a major disappointment for sure, and a clear sign of the struggles of, you know, how much that team had just kind of thrown in the towel at that point. Um, oh, not just but, the team, the coaches. You, you we yeah. would be in the press box, and you see guys like Grant Hurd, just whatever in his hoodie with his hands in his his pocket, and just like disinterested in coaching his guys. And so, you know, people say, you know going back to IU for a second, people say, well, you know, they lost so many coaches. These coaches quit on IU, um, it, it looked like. So I, I think the, the I national wrong, perspective. No, yeah, am I wrong? Not. Like, doesn't it seem that Rutgers has this kind of narrative around it that, hey, Shiano's making them a lot better and they're really improving and, and I, I, I think that there's an argument to be made for that. I mean, they're recruiting pretty well. Um, I, I do really? think that they have gotten better than they were under Coach Flood. Um, no doubt about that. But still, I mean, it, it was a bad offense last year. Again, less than two touchdowns per game in the Big Ten, which includes their beatdown of IU, in uh, a defense that was almost last against the run and dead last against the pass and pass efficiency defense. Plus, losing their best players on offense, Pacheco and Melton, all but two starters on the offensive line, and returning only five starters on defense, I guess I don't see where the positive spin is coming from when looking at at what Rutgers is, is faced with. You look at their schedule, um, you know, at Boston College, that's yep. a very tough opener. Uh, Wagner, and then at Temple, weird game to be playing at Temple. Uh, yeah, they host forty-five Iowa, minutes away. Nebraska, and they're at Minnesota. I mean, they're at Maryland. They do get to host Indiana. So if you're kind of picking between IU and Rutgers for last in the division, uh, from a national perspective, you say, well, Rutgers gets to host IU at home. Okay, uh, but 
I think you could definitely make the argument that their their West crossovers are tougher than IU's overall. Um, I I don't really I guess I just don't see it like what's this big difference that makes Rutgers this positive story, whereas Indiana is kind of widely disregarded as a, a you know oh well pencil them in last and move on. Yeah, um, um, I'll, I'll take the other side matter, of that argument. But... TJ, you know, it, it's IU came from eight and five, six and two, all the way down to two and ten. Rutgers went from one and eleven, two and ten, three and six, five and eight. So, you know, it, it's a late, I think it's a lazy take saying, hey, they'll just jump up. The next step is six and six. Um, they kind of back, they, well, kind of they did back into a bowl game last year, but good on them for going um, yeah. uh, on short notice. I, mm-hmm. I do think that they're improved. I think the also that Chiano is recruiting the state of New Jersey uh, gets hyped up by national media too. New Jersey is a, a fertile recruiting ground, uh, and he's trying to close those state borders from from all these other teams coming in and, and poaching guys, but they got to show it on the field. I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lazy take of it's sixth and seventh in the big 10 East. Who cares? I use on their way down. Rutgers is on their way up and they're going to pass each other somewhere in the middle. Um, and, And without looking into it, plus Indiana football has such a negative, um, just a negative aura about them from their history that, you know, not only does the IU fan base play into it, but the, the local and national writers, uh, you know, buy into it as well. So I, I think that's why the, the Rutgers narrative is, Hey, we're in New Jersey. They're starting to recruit New Jersey kids better. They've gone from one win to two wins to three wins to five wins uh, and the logical next step is getting to six wins and, and getting to another bowl game uh, and, and things like that. Do I think that Rutgers is they, – they like I'm watching rewatching last season. I, I know I've got problems, um, but they, it's just – they weren't impressive. Uh, it, it's – you know, they, they beat Syracuse. It's – like okay, it's it's Rutgers, um, and I don't know if, if people in the Midwest that know Rutgers football history. It's not great either. I mean, Chiano turned that team around and into a perennial bowl team. It, it was like a miracle, um, and, and things like that. But may, maybe that that's the angle that that people take. I think it's a lazy take, um, and, and things like that. And they'll hammer, you know the. Um, the LEO thing as QT and, and things like that. Well, Greg Schiano, a big bad Greg Schiano's thing is family is forget about me. I love you. It's the exact same thing as Tom Allen's doing just a different acronym. So, you know, I, I get it as an IU fan. It's also frustrating. Like why, like you said, why are you giving Rutgers so much credit and taking away the credit from IU? Um, IU fans do that to themselves enough of, hey, we didn't beat anybody with a w- winning record. Or, hey, you know, the, that eight and four season doesn't count. Or the six and two season doesn't count because it happened during COVID. 
so what? It's um, it's kind of head scratching, and I agree with you. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens with Rutgers. They do. I, I that Boston College game could put them in their place. Uh, it could also jumpstart their season. Uh, but you know when they play the big boys of the East, they usually get smoked, like smoked. Um, the 13 points last year was the most they scored against Michigan since they came in, I believe. Um, they always let up over 50 points to, to Ohio State uh, and things like that. So I, I don't know. It, it's a game. It's a matchup game IU needs to win, and it's on the road. Uh, it's early enough to where you hope that, you know, Injuries aren't a, a, a thing for IU, and you know what? IU deserves to to after last year's performance against Rutgers, they need to say, "Hey, that that wasn't us. That was the, a shell or ghost um, that that we've taken care of." Because last year's Rutgers game was probably outside of the eighty three twenty game against Wisconsin in twenty ten the most painful IU game I've watched. Yeah, no, I, I, it was um, not remotely enjoyable, and it, it definitely made you question everything you thought you knew about mm, where the program was going. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, which we've continued to question uh, throughout the offseason and will continue to wonder until we see something, we hope, much different this coming season, which is creeping in on us, uh, can't get here quick enough. Oh, yeah, it, well, as, as the final day of my summer break, yeah, now it can't get here quick enough. <laughs> Two weeks ago, yeah. I would have said slow down. But final day of summer break, unless this day is going to last forever, um, yeah, we could – all right, let's get things going. Um that does it for our Big Ten East. Uh, we're going to Ohio State, the Big Ten East champion. Ohio State, yeah. Big Ten champion. Yeah. What's your one non-IU road trip in the East? Oh, uh, Ohio State versus Michigan. Um, I have not been to that particular game in person. Um, and it appears to always live up to the considerable hype. Uh, at least from an atmosphere standpoint. So um, definitely that's going to be my my go-to there. Um, I do think that there's some other fun places to go. I don't really have any interest in going to a Maryland game or a Rutgers game. No offense to those individuals' uh, schools. I, I'm sure that they would say the same about IU games. Uh, and I get that, uh, but I, I think the the only other one that would come close for me would be a Penn State whiteout game. Um, but I, I will choose Ohio State, Michigan um, this year, of course, hosted in Columbus. Yeah, that would be my pick, too. If I had to go something different than you, it would be Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, that's a, just another rivalry that Michigan State's won the yeah. last two. Michigan wants revenge. Um, Ann Arbor's fun. I, 
I've liked my trips to Michigan State a little bit better. I, I think that I like their stadium a little bit better. I don't know. Um, but that in Arbor in uh, whenever that game is, is always, it's always fantastic. Um, that crowd for that game is going to be fired up uh, to win. But, yeah, it, it's it's Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, or, yeah, Ohio State, Michigan uh, at the Horseshoe. Uh, would be my number one pick. If you wanted to go to the Penn State whiteout game, it is the Minnesota game this year, I believe, and it's for the governor's bill. So it's not the most exciting whiteout game uh, like it was for Auburn or Ohio State a couple years ago. Um, then Penn State hosts Ohio State this year in the stripeout game. Went to the stripeout game last year at Penn State for IU. It was pretty cool, but been there, done that. So it's got to be Ohio State, Michigan. All right, that does it for this edition of the Hoosier Huddle podcast. That does it also for our preseason conference previews. TJ, we've made it through. Uh, the next Yay. step is uh, is position by position IU previews. We've uh, right. get, gotten updates for practice. Uh, we'll keep people updated on the site as well uh, as our countdown to kickoff. We have position previews coming out. Uh, we have game previews coming out uh, in our first glance. And before you know it, it will be game week. Uh, again, the game is at uh, 8 p.m. on Friday, September 2nd in Bloomington against Illinois. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore huddle. Follow us on YouTube as well. Just search Hoosier huddle, subscribe, like, uh, and rate as well. You can follow the podcast on any platform where you get your, your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review as well. Uh, anyway, thanks uh, for joining us, TJ. We're finally through the meat of the, uh, we'll call it talking season. Uh, we'll be back next week with Andy Graham to talk uh, the IU offense. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. 
Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.